Welcome to Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James, along with Dr. Dante, and we are back to talk to you this week about knees. You might say this is a bit of a needy episode, but it's great because we're going to talk about two very important things that we see on a common basis. Number one, pain in your knee at the front of your knee called patellofemoral pain. And this is so common, between 25 to 40% of all knee complaints are caused by this. You might even say it's the most common diagnosis of sports medicine, but it's also very important to performing arts medicine when we specifically uh, treat dancers who are using their knees all the time. The second issue we wanted to get into a little bit today is iliotibial band syndrome. That's kind of a big word for the big, long stretch of muscle and tendon that runs along the side of your leg. It runs basically from your knee to your hip and can cause some real issue. The interesting thing about it is the data on this is it's becoming more frequent. And why is it becoming more frequent? Because we've been telling people to get out and exercise, to lose weight, to get better physical fitness. So what do they do? They go out and run. And when you go out and run, things start to hurt specifically this iliotibial band. So the interesting aspect about this is between two to 25% of, of physically active adults will complain of iliotibial band or IT band syndrome. 0% of inactive adults or sedentary adults complain of this. So we know this is a, a, an issue in people who are regularly physically fit. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I talk to my patients and just my athletes and my friends a lot about this idea. It's, look, all of us are going to get older. Um, you can only move one direction in time so far. As far as we know. Dude, if we get a Unless time machine. Brown. Right. Look, if we get a time machine, man, this, this show, this podcast is done. We're doing something, we're doing something else. <laughs> and we're going to do it in the future. <laughs> yes. Although speaking with Caesar would be baller as hell. Oh, this is true. So... When I'm talking to uh, people about these types of ideas, there's, you get you get two options. You either get metabolic disorder or you get wear and tear. Like, look, we're gonna live our lives. We're going to do our thing. If you do nothing, you get metabolic syndrome. You got the obesity, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, hypertension. Everything goes high. Everything right, goes right. High. The hyper everything's, like the American syndrome, right? Right. Less the other option is you train, and if you train, you're gonna get the various arthritis phenomenon the wear and tear syndromes. And fair enough, because look, man, if all of us have to die, all of us will wear down. You get to pick how you're going to go down. You can go down with the metabolic issues and all that, or you can go down with uh, the wear and tear, knowing that you did some really cool stuff. I like the idea of, you know, I'll pay the price of IT band syndrome if that means I get to like jump over, I don't know, a 10 foot thing every now and again or whatever right, else. Right. Or climb up a curved wall and then... Yes, yes. The IT band is necessary to run up a warped wall. It is, it is not a negotiable facet, actually. Or, yeah. uh, or my personal favorite, the pistol squat. Uh, yeah, that one's pretty. Now, I will tell you, Dr. Dante can do that with a plum. I can't do it even holding onto a wall. So uh, if this was a, a video, I would love to show you how, how he does it. But we'll just have to leave that image to your own imagination. Um, <laughs> And, you know, we, we talked last time about tensegrity and this idea of, 
uh, floating uh, solid structures in flexible structures still applies to the knee. Absolutely. Because, look, every joint we have, it's once upon a time we learned a song like the hip bones connected to the thigh bone and all that and good so stuff. And so on and so forth, yeah. Right, right, right. But it's, while that is true, that's not true enough. We can increase the resolution of that image. The bone doesn't go on the bone. The bone has a disc of cartilage in between it, fair enough. But the bone and the cartilage are also encapsulated inside a capsule. Hey, encapsulated. Yeah, there we go. Right. It's and, wrapped up. Right, and that whole thing is inside this meshwork, this sheath of other ligaments, of connective tissue, of fascia. It's, um, in a really cool way, our body floats within its own structure. There's actually uh, some folks that, uh, Robert Schleipfeller, who I like, who I love to cite so much regarding the fascial research, he talks about how there's an exoskeleton, there's an endoskeleton, and then for humans, there's this thing called the ectoskeleton, the ecto, the ectomorph, that idea. It's the mm -hmm. skeleton that's on the outside, the outside of what? Of your bones. Right. And it's, it's an amazing thing the more you think about the uh, way that every piece is connected to the other one. The IT band, what? It connects your hip to your knee. That doesn't articulate the beauty of the, of the, of the thing. Not only does it connect your hip to your knee, but it also is the means through which you connect your glute through the TFL to your knee, but not only the right. glute, the glute connects to your sacrum. Specifically, it interweaves with the fibers of your dorsal fascia, which means that your left shoulder through your lat dorsi gets to control the action of your right knee. And they get to link together into a long chain. Exactly. And they work together. Right, which means when you try to throw a discus, it goes far. Well, and the crazy thing about this IT band is it helps your knee extend, so straighten out, but in the opposite direction, it also helps your knee bend. So it has two completely opposite effects on the same structure, depending on the situation. Right, right. And what forces you put on that knee. This is the term you might be familiar with. It's a force multiplier. Yes. As a matter of fact, now that we're talking about it, let's get back to the knee real quick. Uh, the kneecap itself acts in a similar fashion, directing forces. I love the fact that this kneecap, this small bone, it's got up to seven millimeters of cartilage. So that's a lot of cartilage underneath it. So it's, it's floating in this zone, but it takes the force that your quads generate when they contract and directs it over a 90 degree angle, in some cases a larger, than, or a larger angle than that, and redirects the forces from the quads around the corner and down to your shin. Right, it's a pulley. It's actually a pulley, which it's is amazing. amazing. But um, the, the coolest thing about understanding that pulley mechanism is it's not necessarily intuitive why that's such a big deal, but when you think about what a pulley is good for, think about, think about a door. Think about trying to open the door by pulling at like the part of the door that's connected to the hinges and all the force you have to put just to get it to go versus trying to open the door all the way at the handle where it belongs. Right. You talk about torque. That's really the idea at hand here. So what happens is whenever you generate um, muscular force when you generate contraction, there needs to be some concept of leverage. And I forget which old Greek guy said it, but he, he had this idea that if you give me a long enough lever, he can move the world. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And what this patella does is it gives your quad better leverage over that tibia, which means if you want to kick, you can kick. If you want to jump, you can jump. If you want to run, you can run, so on and so forth, with a lot less energy used as opposed to if you never had it. Now there are things, there are organisms out there without patellas, there are things that have a leg-like function that don't have that, and their mechanics are so alien and foreign to us because 
they don't have this force multiplying structure. I'm thinking specifically about insects, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but another good example would be um, birds, now that you really think about it. Um, avian things, think of the uh, reptilian things. It's just oh, a different sure. mechanic. Um, they have a very different gait than we do. And part of the reason for that is because the legs are built so fundamentally differently. We don't waddle. We don't do the penguin thing, right? We stride. We float almost upon our pelvis. Yeah, our gait is very unique. Yeah. Uh, in the animal kingdom. We are the only bipedal thing out there. Right. Wait. Well, not there are some birds that are yeah, bipedal. Yeah. But, uh, and, and you might say kangaroos and, and a few others out there. But Kangaroos almost count. I almost want to call them unipedal with two poles. Like, they bounce. Well, and they have a they have a tail that they lean on too. True, but our kneecap—it oh, seems like such a simple thing, and yet it does so much. Now, I also am interested in how the kneecap takes forces from a number of different angles and redirects them into a single focus down into that tendon. So, the the kneecap is floating in the quadratus in the quadriceps, not quadratus, but quadriceps tendon. But you also have the IT band attaching uh, at least somewhat to the uh, kneecap, and uh, you uh, you have uh, other um, tendons that attach the kneecap to the knee itself. So you have all of these forces coming from multiple angles into one area. And why is this important? Well, the kneecap, it runs in a groove. It's not flat underneath it. If you cut it in half, it looks almost triangular. And it has to stay in that groove to function appropriately. If that groove is too shallow, if the angle is wrong, that can cause the kneecap to dislocate easily. And if you change the angle of the forces, that's gonna change how your kneecap feels. Now, we know that kneecap pain from the patella is pretty common in adolescents, in more in women and young adults. Now that seems to correlate with activity levels. The older you get, the less you're running around, so the less you're gonna cause issues. We don't know necessarily why women particularly have so much of a problem. We used to think it was the angle of their quads was different, but we found out since then that the quote unquote Q angle has less of an effect than we thought. But we do know that these particular um, populations have it. One of the focuses that we wanted to do today is on dancers in particular. Tell us about dancers. Well, dancers are insane. We're just gonna leave it at that. End of the episode. <laughs> no, um, we'll stop right now. Exactly. Um, and dancers may feel free to comment. <laughs> you just made a lot of enemies, man. Um, <laughs> The image in my head when I talk about different parts of the body, like it's never about the body part itself. It's that body part in the context of the of the person who has that part, you know, and so on and so forth. When I talk, when I think about a knee, I think about specifically fluid movement. I think about gait. I think about dancing. I think about jumping, leaping, bounding, so on and so forth. Specifically, and this is potentially an effect of our collective training. When I talk about knee pathology, if I'm not thinking specifically about like the football player. I'm thinking about a ballerina. Mm-hmm. And you would think like, oh, it's a ballerina. What's the big deal? They, they prance around, they jump, and they do pretty cool things. What's the big deal? But if ever you watch them dance, it is terrifying how powerful and how intelligent their movements are. The amount of force, the amount of concentration, the amount of coordination to make these parts fire the way they do, they do so they can move so gracefully. A lot of dancers don't consider themselves this, 
But the moment I treat one, the moment I speak to one, I talk to them like they're a pro athlete because honestly, because they, they kind of are, right? They are super athletic, and they put their their body through a, an insane amount of forces, right? Especially their knees, right? And they need to hear that because there's a, like you have this performing arts psychology where you're not a, you're not an athlete, you're a performer, and then you have the athlete psychology, which is I'm an athlete, which is a little bit of a different thing. What the athlete has is this concept of training and rehab and recovery, and they have this whole staff behind them to make sure that this linebacker is a well-oiled, well-engineered, well-trained, well-fed machine. Well-rehabbed. Well-rehabbed. Dancers don't always get that. They dance through it. They push through it because they suffer for their art. Not all of them, obviously, but how many performers have you met with jacked-up feet and ankles and knees? Oh, yeah. Happens all the time. Right. And so much of it is preventable if they just knew that, hey, for the record, cross-train. Hey, for the record, rest. But you don't rest when you're a performer because you're not exercising, you're performing. And no, no, if you're going to perform at that level, you're an athlete. And when we're talking about what athletes' injuries are, we talk about all that leaping and bounding, we're talking about knees. Because not only is a ballerina an athlete, a ballerina is also, in the best way possible, I emphasize, in the best, coolest way possible, kind of a freak of nature. They can do things that no one else can do. Right, right. Because of their training and their athleticism. And their actual bony structure. Absolutely. The crazy thing about all of this is, as you talked about, things wear out with time. Even as athletic as they are, the dancer or the, the pro football player, or who, whoever we're talking about, things still wear out. Right. And one of the overriding thoughts around patellofemoral or, uh, pain is that this may be because of overuse. Now, there, you look in the literature, there's a lot of disagreement as to what may be causing it, but we know that direct impact to the kneecap can cause the pain, that, that makes sense. But right. the overuse issue, um, if, the, if you have any imbalance in your quads, pulling that kneecap against that groove, the trochlear groove is what it's called, but that groove, you bounce it along that repeatedly, day after day, time after time, eventually that cartilage, that protective layer wears out. Right. And now things are going to start to hurt. Right. Because the cartilage is your protection. It's the shock absorber of your shock absorber, actually, if you really think about it. But there's this concept of rest and recovery that just isn't intuitive unless you're, one, an athlete who's had to live it, or two, um, somebody who's trained in the, you know, in the art of coaching and recovery and rehabilitative medicine and things of that sort. When you stress a system, that's as broad as I can get, when you stress a system, it fatigues, it wears down to some degree. However, our body is not just the machine. The machine metaphor gets us so far, but you have to remember it's a living, thinking, adapting organism. When you stress our body, it rebuilds stronger. And I mean that in the best possible sense and also in the worst, because that same physiology that allows you to rebuild stronger also causes you to rebuild in accordance to what you do, as in, if you spend all your time jumping, you get really good at jumping. Your parts get really good at supporting you jump. If you spend all your time sitting, you get really good at sitting. Your parts get really good at keeping you seated. Really tight. Really tight. Now, all that requires, though, time. Because what happens? When you train, what a lot of folks uh, get wrong is you don't get stronger during the training event. You get no, stronger in the recovery. After you've torn down the muscle and it has to rebuild itself. Exactly. That's where you get the strength. Right, right. And those knees injury, knee injuries, I wonder how many of them could be prevented if we just knew to rest more. Because again, this isn't the sedentary guy who gets this pathology. No. This is the active guy. This is the go-getter. This is the, I'm going to 
deadlift 500 pounds tomorrow and then run a marathon. And to, along that lines, those who do the same activity over and over and over again and don't vary their exercise routine, there is something to be said for doing circuits that change what exercise you do. Right, right. Now, there are some other aspects of the injury as well. Um, you can see it, uh, there are a lot of people with leg length discrepancies that end up with knee pain and IT band pain, by the way. And there is a good mechanical explanation that uh, if the knee, if, if the leg is shorter or longer, then you're putting additional strain. Right. If the foundation's um, crooked, you have the leaning tower pizza. Right. Right. And you know, fortunately, a lot of folks who have leg length discrepancies is actually an issue with their hips. If we just readjust their hips, the legs go back to the same length. That can fix a, a lot of things. But there are other issues. You you have folks. We we talked about uh, anatomy prior that have uh, foot and leg deformities that may contribute to changing the forces that are tracking along that kneecap. You have um, people who overpronate or underpronate their foot. That also changes the force that's transferred up the leg. Right, right. You, I just want to call it, you did something really cool there. We're talking about the knee, but in describing the health and uh, other side, the pathology of the knee, you actually had to jump up to the hip and to the ankle. And that wasn't actually dodging the topic. That's fundamental to understanding the knee because it's a connecting point between these two systems. It really is. Right. Its role is the connection. And that's kind of how osteopathic physicians think about things, is what's going on in the environment surrounding whatever is causing the pain that may be contributing to it. Right, right. Because if, if you think about that knee in isolation, yeah, you have that patellofemoral groove, fair enough, whatever. But... That has to do so many things, as you we were mentioning. So yeah, if that hip is crooked, if that foot is overpronated, that actually affects the shape of the groove itself. And that's not intuitive unless you really go down and look at the bones and line them up and just take a cadaver and stare at it for a while and go, yeah, like, you're right, oh, that does yeah, make a difference. At, look at how that runs. But how often do we look at cadavers? We got things to do. Thankfully, you and I have patients who are alive. Yes. And we already did our cadaver observations in med school. Fortunately, most people don't have access to that. Once upon a first year med. Oh boy, back in the day. But uh, <laughs> on top of that, some muscular issues. Now, now these are muscular issues I don't expect to see for the dancer. However, it can be the case. So weak hip muscles, um, weak quads, weak hip adductors. Now, where does the weakness come in in a, an athlete? That comes in if they're limiting their training to certain muscle groups and other, other muscle groups are not getting the attention they need. They can become weak. And if you have that weakness, that changes the vector forces going through that kneecap. Right, right. Imagine it's the image of firing the best cannon you can think of out of a canoe. Because again, what, we have moves? <laughs> yeah, now that's, yeah. That's, that's quite the image right there. Right. That's actually the image I have when I think about some of these um, performers. Um, I was commenting a little while ago that um, to be a ballerina at the highest level, you kind of need to have a very special physiology. But the thing is, not everybody has that bone structure. And it's just an unfortunate reality of the fact. So what happens is sometimes you try to train through it and you end up building such profound mechanical tension, so much elastic um, recoil essentially in your parts just to keep it doing the thing you want it to do that eventually it breaks in the same way that you can't fire a cannon out of a canoe before eventually the canoe just shatters. You can only leap and bound so many times with a part that was not meant to leap and bound the way you do on point before it crit fails. And that's what we see so many times 
in the context of um, performance. When you have somebody who is performing in a manner that isn't intelligent to their design, you end up with crit fail. Versus if you have somebody who's performing um, at a high level who matches, they get the wear and tear injuries. And those are two such vastly different things that it's, it's a, the human body's amazing. It's terrifying. Terrifyingly amazing. And I'd like to point out that the IT band syndrome, we don't have to talk a lot about it because it is so similar in the cause as a patellofemoral. The difference is, instead of dancers, we see it in runners. Because the IT band is so involved with flexion of that knee, the bending of the knee, especially during running, especially long distance runners. People who run extended distances every week or start running longer distances every week. We see it with them also when they're running hills where they hadn't been running hills before, especially going down hills. Right. Um, we see it when they have been running on surfaces that are uneven. So always running on the side of a street where the street is curved down and you'll always run that same side of the street going the same direction every day or run a track the same direction. It's kind of like, you know, they say NASCAR is not all that difficult. All you have to do is drive straight and turn left. That's pretty hard in the system to just turn one way. <laughs> yeah. Derek but, Zoolander once said, I'm not an ambi-turner. That's right. That's right. Uh, so you, you'll see this came, same kind of strain a pattern, but it just shows up differently. It shows up on the side of your leg versus on the front of your leg, which is the patellofemoral syndrome. So these are overuse, and they cause issues when you use them too much. But right. we're going to talk about what we can do to limit the pain and actually make the pain better. 100%. Here's a cool fact. So the knee has two major uh, muscle groups. He has the quadriceps and the hamstrings. Now everybody can kind of deduce what the quadriceps are named for. There's four big muscles, quad, so on and so forth. But what is a hamstring? So the hamstring got its name because once upon a time, when we butchered our animals, when we butchered pigs specifically, we needed to hang them up by something so we'd hang them up by these muscles in the back of their thighs, and then we would string them up. We would string up these hams. Lo and behold, we have the hamstring. So why are we talking about both of these knee issues in the first place? Why in the same episode? Well, because they're very much related. Uh, these overuse kinds of injuries, they appear very similar. They might be different athletes. But from an osteopathic standpoint, as we understand everything is interrelated in many ways, we can treat both of these right. in a very using real, very similar techniques. Right. In a very real way, I, I don't significantly differentiate the two pathologies. They're, at the end of the day, it's the knee is not moving the way it ought to, and something is going to get rubbed funny because of it. So, so the knee is rubbing you the wrong way. Basically. <laughs> And if you rub it the right way, then it'll stop screaming at you. We just summed up our job. <laughs> well, there we go. We can end the episode right now. <laughs> but I mean, there's something to it. It's why lump together patellofemoral syndrome and IT band. It's this idea that the knee, we always think about it in flexion and extension, the kicking motions, right? Going right. forward, going back. Right. A lot of folks forget that we can actually twist our knee inwards and outwards. And many of us do without thinking about it. It's right. part of our regular walking motion. And in the same way that knowledge is power, if you know that this thing twists, that means we can do something about it. Because what? The tibia, that's the shin bone, and the femur right. are the 
are the things that the patella helps move, which means that the groove, the piston that these two bones make is what the patella articulates uh, within. If one bone is twisted funny, then that groove by definition is funny, which means if we can keep that groove in line, then perhaps we can make a benefit. Now, sometimes it's because there's so much tension in the patella from all those muscles that's going to get sure. pulled out of socket. However, sometimes the groove is just shaped funny. Sometimes the groove has variations that predispose it to getting hurt. Right, right. What if you have somebody who just likes to have their uh, tibias, have their shins point towards the inside? What if you have somebody who's pigeon-toed? Right, right. Right. And if you're pigeon-toed, now that thing, instead of going in a straight channel, it curves in a little bit, which means that patella acts as if it's shooting outward, but it's not. It's going straight up and down, but the channel is off. Well, and not only that, we know that if the tibia is turned in, the kneecap itself turns in a clockwise or counterclockwise fashion. So if you realign that bone that's supposed to fit like a key into a, a lock, now it's not just turning, now, now not, not just the groove is off, but the actual locking mechanism is off. It's right, right. bouncing along where it shouldn't be. Right, the part sits beautifully in its groove, and then we have, we have a groove. <laughs> and we're off our groove, if you will, if it's not working right. There's an emperor joke in there, I'm not oh, sure to make yeah. it, so we're just gonna... We're, we'll leave that very well enough alone. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but you think, oh wait, I can, fine, it's no big deal to move and twist the knee, but the magic, the cool thing about what we do is it actually stays there to some degree. Like, a lot of our posture, a lot of our position isn't just where our bones sit, it's where our nervous system, where our somatic map, where our homunculus, it's actually a word. Yes, that's, that's, a, cool, that's a cool word. Yeah, it's where yeah. it commands our body to be. The motor homunculus, uh, sorry, the proprioceptive, the motor homunculus, they, they are the thing that our body, our brain has to represent our form. In fact, there was this really cool, almost like competitive study between the guy who does a lot of the neuromodulation, whose name I honestly forget, and the, um, the, uh, the wolf lady, Idra Wolf, Ira Wolf. Right, and, right, right, right. And they were yeah. trying to figure out, where does this somatic dysfunction thing come from? Is this primarily a fascial distortion? Is this primarily a neurologic event? And what they did was they, they engineered this really cool study where they took a bunch of folks who had, you know, pain of various sorts, they assessed them top to bottom, had some concordance on, hey, this guy's knees twisted this way, that way, this back is this way, that way. And then these guys had to go, into, go under anesthesia for an unrelated event. And while they were going under, they would reevaluate these people and lo and behold, you would shut off the mind. And many, not all, but many of these lesions, of these somatic dysfunctions, of these positional postural distortions would fade away. Just disappear into the sunset. Right, and what does that mean? That means that the position of your knee isn't just the position of your knee, it's the position that your body believes your knee should be in. Right, the brain has a wired map that says this is how your knee should work. Right. And this is what I'm expecting it to do. And so it tells it to do it and it does it. Right. You don't even have to think, knee, you need to bend. Right. Knee, you need to straighten out. It just does it on autopilot. Exactly, with ease. And Much then, better than a Google car. Beautifully. And then what does that mean for us? We have these techniques. Um, balance ligamentous tension, ligamentous arterial, uh, articular strain, where we can actually help the joint reposition itself and learn that, hey, I can actually sit on myself like this. I can position myself here or there. And the cool part is it's one thing to move a joint and put it there. 
It's not a thing to teach a joint that, hey, I can go somewhere else, and then you just watch it happen. Right. Well, and it's, it's such an easy technique for, uh, for any of the physicians out there who are listening to the show. It, it's simple. You, you, you just have to straighten the leg out and put a little compression on either side of the, the knee and, and then turn that tibia into the way it was already turned and just hold it there. Right, right. And then the brain processes that and says, oh, well, this is not where it should be, so let me process that to get it back to where I know it should be. Right, right. And then you feel it release, you let go, and voila, everything goes back to straight. It's, it's, it's almost like magic. Right. It's magic if you didn't know about neuroplasticity, basically. Exactly. And to be fair, for a very long time, we didn't know the full power of the phenomenon, but many, many many papers and researchers and, you know, the evolution of science later, we found out how profound, what is it, in the West, there's this concept of the mind and the body, that Cartesian dualism thing, right? Right. I have a mind, I have a body, the mind connects to the body through something, maybe it's the pineal gland. Science was really weird once upon a time. <laughs> it still is to some extent. That's true. But <laughs> in, outside the West, man, outside in a different culture, there is no distinction. Um, the mind, the body, movement, it's all one big thing. It's, it's all connected. Right. It's Phenomenologically, it's just the thing. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you say that the mind, that perception, your homunculus has a profound effect on actually your joint centration. And that's a really cool new idea for the West. But dude, the martial arts guys have been doing this since, you know, since the beginning. Yeah. Tai Chi is all about this. It's all about that connection that the body has with its external parts, not really external parts, external is a terrible way of saying it, but extension of its, of its own perception. Right, well, that, what, what just happened there, the little stutter, even that was just a manifestation of the event. Like, the English language, as awesome as it is, because it can do some really cool things, doesn't have the means to communicate this idea of this thing that is simultaneously many things in one thing. The best word we have for it is holistic. But holistic is such a played out term that it doesn't really convey the power of the phenomenon. Yeah, it's more of a buzzword than anything. It doesn't have much meaning to what we're trying to say. Exactly. But that's the root of the thing. Like that concept, that neuroplasticity, that holism, that mind-body connection, however you want to articulate it, that's the thing we get to play with when we do something as basic as BLT, which is not a sandwich. But it makes me hungry every time I say it. Right, right. Balanced ligamentous tension. We like to use acronyms because we're doctors. BLT. Ta-da. But the coolest thing about that technique, and it's the thing I love to talk about with the, the students that we work with, a lot of the students go, how do you know how to put it back in place or this, that, and the other thing? How do you control it back? And then I tell them very, very frankly, I have no idea. The body often will tell us when it's ready to go. Right. And you I mean feel that, for a change. Right. And I mean that in the most sincere way. I don't actually have control of where the body unwinds. What, I, what we do, right? We add that compression, add that distraction, disengage those ligaments, and we just watch. We disengage and let it figure out what it's going to do. And we hope to God that it does the right thing. And the body's great because it often will do the right thing for us. Right. And I've had patients where the body didn't do the right thing technically. Um, There's this fellow with back pain, and I'm doing this BLT thing, this ligamentous uh, glitch where I change the proprioception and all that good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And as the ligament, as the vertebrae, I think it was his L1, I forget it was L1 or L2, lumbar one or lumbar two, as the things coiling around it began to unwind, his pain actually got worse. And we've been doing this long enough time to know that that's not supposed to be how it works. 
So there was something else going on. Right, and I told him up front, like, sir, hey, this is not quite right. Let me, uh, let me double check this. Let me get some backup real quick. And then my backup takes a look at it and goes, hey, yeah, this isn't doing the thing it's supposed to do. So we decided in the room together, like, hey, man, look, this might actually be a, a different kind of problem. There might be damage to the part itself, which is different from a somatic dysfunction, right? Right, right, There's right. trauma, there's fracture, there's positioning and so on and so forth. So we actually got him an x-ray and the x-ray showed a burst fracture that he didn't have two weeks ago. Huh. Well, there you go. Yeah. The body did tell you something was up. Yeah, it told me something was wrong. And it wasn't working the way it was supposed to. So when we read the, the knee, what kind of things are we expecting to see? Well, honestly, I expect this, there's this thing called a J sign or a J tracking. Mm -hmm. The patella ideally should move up and down your leg kind of like a piston in a car, right? Right, with well, a little bit of lateral tracking just because of the, the way the quads pull on it. The, that's called the Q angle. Right. The, the way the quadriceps pull on your patella. But it's, it's still supposed to be kind of straight. Right. We'll say straight-ish. Straight-ish. Straight-oid, as I think. <laughs> but sometimes we'll see that the patella in its, in its path will have an overt arc. It'll overtly change angle. And it's not about those gentle grooves. The gentle grooves typically don't hurt. It's those sharp turns. That's where the pain is. Right, right, right. So what I would hope for is as we disengage, as we reposition, as we retrain the knee to sit in its joint just a little bit better, I would hope that the patella, as a consequence of the straightened tibia, begins to track better. And why does that matter? If that happens, if the tibia is, sit is seated straight and the patella is where it belongs, now it doesn't get to knock the condyles, it doesn't get to irritate one side of the bone over the other. It doesn't get to wear unevenly. Even better, if the tibia is in place, remember the tibia doesn't just sit in any random spot. Something no, has to pull it. has a very there. specific place for it. Right, right. And the mediator of that is the musculature and the fascia. That IT band isn't just some esoteric thing. It's the thing that's attaching to your leg. And, for a purpose. Right. Yeah. And if that tibia sits just so, that's that much less tension on the IT band. And if that IT band has less tension in it, that means it has more capacity to do whatever insane, crazy, cool, swan lake thing you want to do. Or just run. <laughs> or just run, yeah. And following that IT band up to the hip, one of the main things that you see in both IT band syndrome and patellofemoral syndrome is folks often will have a leg length discrepancy. One leg is shorter or longer than the other. Is it a result of the knee? Maybe. Is it a result of the hips? Possibly. It could be other things. So one thing that we would look at is we would look at the hips because if the hip is rotated on the problematic side or shifted up or down, that will change the effect of forces on the knee, either on the outside of the knee where the IT band is or in the middle of the knee where the patella is. And that change in force can cause pain. So a real simple technique that Every osteopathic physician learns in school is working with the hips to realign them. And sometimes just realigning the hips can change the forces in the knee that now the patella is running more accurately. Right. Now, that being said, there are some times where you can't fix the leg length discrepancy using an osteopathic technique per se. And so a heel lift is a reasonable alternative if the other treatments are not working or we evaluate the leg length and find out that 
that leg just didn't grow long enough. Right. If the femur's short, the femur's short. The, there's nothing we can do to fix that. Right. But a heel lift can be an, an alternative. Right. And that calls back to the other idea. The thing that makes the osteopathic thing osteopathic isn't a series of techniques. We're not physicians who happen to do body work. The osteopathic thing is more properly conceived of as a strategy, as a philosophy, as a mode of analyzing the scenario. So, hey, we have a structural problem. Okay, we have a functional problem. Okay. That's different from saying, hey, this hurts, let me stretch it out, right? right. If you have a right. short femur, the solution is we need to make up the difference, whether that's to theoretically go Gattaca on this and cut the femur, don't actually do the Gattaca thing. <laughs> no Gattaca in your offices, please. Yeah, but okay, so we're not gonna do the Gattaca <laughs> thing, so you put a heel lift, why? Because the femur being short isn't the problem. The femur being short causing you to have unstable foundations the problem, and what do you do when you have broken foundation in Texas? You support it. Basically, you go back in there and you build it up from the bottom, essentially. Mm -hmm. I learned that because my house has a damaged foundation, oh. because heat's a thing. So someone uh, did some osteopathy on your foundation and uh, fixed your house. More like orthopedic carpentry. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I hope he got paid well. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was, yeah, he, he, got, he got his paycheck. <laughs> but that's the idea. That's, that's really the spirit of the thing. The thing that makes osteopathic medicine, which is a strange term in and of itself, uh, beautiful or powerful or potent is that we don't, or the strategy does not limit itself to pathology diagnosis. It's an engineering problem. And an engineering problem and a medical problem are two very different things, right? And yet they're connected in the way we, we treat. Right. The lens you run determines the way you find your answer. That's a big deal, actually. Yes. And that is one thing that uh, Dr. Still really recognized, that we were more than just physicians, that we were engineers, we were mechanics. Right, right. We look at these complex problems and see outside of the traditional box solutions that are available, easily available, and, and easy to implement in a regular family practice office, for heaven's sake. You don't even need to go to a specialist to get this done. Right. And it can be remarkably effective if done right. Right. Because, look, at the end of the day, if you need a steroid injection in your knee because you have arthritis or the wear and tear, you need it. Fair enough. But it's amazing how much benefit you can give your patient without the medication if you just know how to apply force and kind of trust the body to do its thing. And retrain the body. Uh, another aspect of this, uh, if there's weakness in any of the muscles, in the quads, you know, it's called a quad because there's four muscles there. If you have one of those muscles that's weak, that changes how the quad's gonna pull on that uh, patella. So you strengthen that one weak component, all of a sudden that patella tracks the way it's supposed to. Or the hip adductors, the muscles that bring your leg back to the middle, after you've spread them out, they can cause a different pull on the patella. Uh, the muscle that's part of the IT band is the tensor fascia lata. I always, I love that's that a name. terrible name. I love that name. I just, I remember learning it in med school by saying, if you have a tense face, have a latte. So <laughs> It sounds like half of a bad spell from Harry Potter. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going off on that one. So uh, it, any of those muscles, if we can, change the way you exercise, we can retrain those muscles to pull that knee correctly. Uh, and the same thing with the IT band. If we look at how you're running, oh, I see you're running and turning left all the time on the same track. Just go the opposite direction. 
And you can actually fix a lot of this by changing the way you exercise. Right. It doesn't require a lot of medications or any additional, it doesn't require surgery or imaging, just changing the way you do things and then allowing us to go in and finding where there's some things that are stuck because of what's been going on repetitively for the last few years. Right. If your fibula is jammed you know, back, it needs to get moved, get moved forward. But that's right. not the medicine. The medicine, quote unquote, is the why the heck did it fall back in the first place? And sometimes you just got to, like you said, run the other way. Do something else. <laughs> run away, run away. It's as if variety is like the spice of life or something of that sort. Like you can't just do one thing. You know who specializes? Insects. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, they, they're hyper specialized. They only do one thing. And we are not those things. No, we're, we're much more than insects. Right, right. But the, the important aspect of all of this doing with knees today is it doesn't have to stay in pain. And I want to make sure everyone knows that we encourage you to stay active even with the pain. Our goal is to keep you active, keep you running, keep you dancing, keep you competing, and finding ways to treat you so that you can continue to do what makes you happy. Ultimately, that's what's going to work for us. And that, in essence, is how with your needs, we will find the problem, fix it, and then leave it alone. And thank you for listening to our episode today. Again, this is Roland Bones, the Osteopathic Podcast, and I am your host, Dr. James, along with Dr. Dante. We thank you for joining us today. Next up, in a couple of weeks, we are going to talk about your gut, and your lymphatics. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening to Rollin' Bones, the osteopathic podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rollin' Bones Pod or shoot us an email at rollinbonespod at gmail.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N Bones, P-O-D. Rollin' Bones is brought to you by the University of North Texas and Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. Executive producer Brenda Jaskulski, producer Rob Upchurch, and medical advisor Dr. Saj Survey contributed to this podcast. Medicine is a constantly changing science and art with various approaches from practitioner to practitioner. This podcast presents the Roland Bones doctor's views of osteopathic medicine and osteopathic manipulative treatment and will be as evidence-based as possible. Comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors are welcome. No money from drug or device companies is accepted. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This applies to the host, guests, and contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall James Aston, Dante Perez, Saj Survey, podcast producers, the University of North Texas, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, or any guests or contributors to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. This podcast is HIPAA compliant. While you may give your email address to make comments or requests, we will never share your email address or contact information with any third parties without your explicit permission.